Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 this week. I'm still at ATA, and I am with Warren and David Holder from Raised Hunting, and we talk uh, deer zones and how this idea birthed in their heads about deer living in certain zones and not going out of them. Uh, it's a fun episode. You're going to learn a lot about deer hunting, as always. This episode is brought to you by Scentlock. Go check out all their new products that they just launched at ATA. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, David and Warren Holder, man, uh, I'm excited to have you on. We're at ATA 2023. Before we dive in, though, you guys just launched your own podcast, man. Where can they, where can they go tune in? All the podcast places. You can get it on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. You should be able to get it pretty much everywhere. Just race hunting podcasts. We spent a lot of time on the name, you know. Yeah. So. You really came up with something new, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we hey, put a lot of time if it works, it. why change it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we already had a logo and all that, so it was just race hunting podcast. We had an argument is what it was, and we couldn't decide on a name, and we were ready to do a podcast, so we said we're calling it raised hunting until we decide on a name. There That's you go. What, now, now we got a name. Now it just sticks. Um, we're here in the Bear Archery booth, and uh, I just did one a minute ago, and this place was like popping, dude. People are like bumping up behind us, and we're trying to record. Slow down a little bit now, but uh, what's been the most exciting thing you've seen from Bear at ATA? Oh, that's easy. Are we going to go beside the, the new bow? No. That's easy? Yeah, no. What's yours? The new bow. Yeah. <laughs> he said it doesn't matter if he wants another yeah. answer. It's the new bow. Yeah. The, yeah. the execute dude is a, I know, you know, it's a unbelievable The best shooting bow. bow I've ever picked up. Mine, I can't miss with mine. And that's, no BS, my favorite bow Challenge so accepted. Far. <laughs> I said me. I'm like, yeah. all right, Warren, we have an aspirin at 220. <laughs> Don't miss. We can test it. I don't know that I can live up to that, but I was shooting. A, I don't spend a lot of time shooting long distance, but shooting the summer, later this summer, I guess, 80, 90, and consistently really good groups, which the bow is just forgiving, and it's an enjoyable bow to shoot. Yeah. Um, I think it's, personally, it's by far my favorite bow, and I, I don't know what they're going to do next year, but they might have a hard time pulling that one out of my hands. Well, the the wider stance on that limb pocket really just changes the entire way that bow balances. Oh, I mean, it just it balances like no other bow. It's unbelievable. It's just phenomenal. See, for the older guy, it's the draw. Yeah. And I'm having issues with my shoulder and things like that, and so I can draw that bow where the not that I I can still draw my refine, but you watch me fight it, not because of the bow, but because of my physical ability. The execute I can draw so much smoother. I mean, it's just so to me that's the one that stands out. And then I think also just they've taken the shock out. They've, I mean, everything from an older person's perspective 
which is where I consider myself now, is I'm not in that young crowd necessarily. It's been seasoned. phenomenal. Let's not say older. Let's I'd, say seasoned. I'm, I'm okay with it. I can live with it. As long as I'm still doing what I'm doing, I'm still upright. It's all good. My dad says, dude, I'm a proud old man. Like, i got my grandkids now. Like, he's like, I'm proud to be old. Right. But uh, the first thing I – that was the first words out of my mouth was, like, the draw cycle compared to the refine is night and day. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, I'm not saying I didn't like the refine, but I didn't like the refine. Um as a draw cycle and i you know i said that i didn't i didn't hold any bones about it i didn't like the draw cycle and then you pick up this bow and it's like oh crap this but, is it what's amazing me everything that i thought that they could do better on it literally the ref, the the brand new execute was that the the new stabilizer wow the new stabilizer mount the wire limb pockets the new the new riser the whole thing was just Everything I pretty much told you guys. I said I wish they would do this, 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 and that. Oh yeah, they did, did it. Brand new bow. Did it all. Had all of it. Yeah. Like I don't. I, you almost didn't, wouldn't even need a sidebar on that bow anymore because it balances so well. Like you were talking about, it's incredible. Yeah, I uh, I set that bow up. We got to Missouri and I met Andrew from Trophy Ridge down in Missouri for a hunt, and he brought my bow with me and uh, we set it up like from the ground up. We set it up on Thursday morning and Thursday night. I shoot a buck with it. And I just told him, I'm like, man, like to be shooting this bow, and we did the same thing. We, you know, he he set up the new digital react with you know the speeds and everything, and he said, well, let's just see. Like you've shot at 20, and ideally this should be set at 60. So let's just jump back and see. And I'm like, dude, I've never I shot this bow th three arrows literally, and uh, but I jump right back to 60, and they were just stacking, and I'm like, crap. Like, and that's a testament to the digital too. Um, are you guys shooting digitals or are you shooting? What are you shooting? War I am. Warren is. I'm Easton's shooting. not only because they hadn't made it in the left-handed yet. Oh, yeah. So now that's coming. So people should be now looking yeah. forward to the in the, in the trio. Yeah, they have the trio in left-handed. Yeah. They do, yeah. Yep. And so um, so Warren is shooting the React. I am not. I'm still the old school guy. <laughs> well, the well, React technology period, though, is the only reason you can sight in that fast. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's insane. Um, so you just mentioned it. You're like, I don't know what's going to come next. And not just from bear on bows, but like Escalade in general, Trophy Ridge, bear, sick, whatever, whatever line, what would you like to see? Like what? what's that thing where you're like, man, I wish this would happen? Oh, boy. I know my answer. Uh, and I've openly told them. <laughs> what is it? Work on the releases, Trophy yeah. Ridge releases. That's what I like to see. I like to see those. That, that, would, that one would be good, a good one. Um, the, the one thing that I, if I could have them add is – I wish they would develop. So I'm not a, um, I'm not a fixed pin. I mean, I'm not a movable pin, movable pin. I am a fixed pin guy. However, I agree with Warren. The three pin system is where it's at. The only thing that I wish they would do is make it where the two top pins are solid, and the bottom pin is the only one that moves. Does the that make sense? Two top pins solid in the bottom, like the but the because, hot wire. Well, because that? then that way. Yeah. What I'm saying is that you would never move your 20 and 30 if, if that's what you're dialed in, is that's where it's set. And then your third pin is the one that moves for you Yeah. by yeah. itself. Well, they're ahead of you. They've they, already got it? That's yeah, the, that, hot the hot wire does that. Oh, I don't know why I've never tried the hot wire then because that yeah. would be the one that I would shoot. Yeah. It's a good little sight. But right now, see, I guess the React technology, though, I've been But that's not, that doesn't have React technology in that's, it, though. And see, and I, so that's what I'm saying. If you could build that into the React... Yeah. Then you would be somewhere, or in my opinion. That'd probably be tough. Andrew. You've got to keep them all on that same 
Um, we need a hot wire. This just in right here. David Holder <laughs> wants a hot wire react. Do it for next year. It's in his there brain. All it's right. there. It's, it's planted. There. It's, yeah, we've started something. I, no, Andrew's, the, the digital react was his baby. Like he Really? He, you know, that helped birth that and build that. And so um, if anybody can do it, it's that man right there. That's cool. The yeah. trio was the one that I really wanted. I wanted those top two pins to be yeah. 19 thousandths and then that third one to be 10 thousandths. Yep. And then they did that with the new digital. And so that was it for me. So I'll tell you what I did. I took, it's like a Cyclops site, dude. It's, <laughs> I took a, a digital housing, but I put a dovetail on it from a, a, the React Single Pro. So it's a digital React on a dovetail. Three pin. Yep. I love it. How'd you even do that? All the all the parts are interchangeable. Oh like, really? Yeah. I mean, so you've got a you've got a digital React trio with a dovetail, uh, you know, side on a hmm. mounting bracket. So it's yeah, it's took literally forty four seconds to unscrew the and screw it back on. It's two screws. That's a pretty exact number. Did you time that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Your pit crew. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Bring, just, just, just. Yeah. Um, forty four seconds. I'm like, man, you must measure that. So what would you like to see changed? I that would have been it for me. Honestly, really? when it came out, yeah, because that's the other thing. I used my um, my React. The one thing I was skeptical, they did such a good job on the trio. You know, I thought that they were going to have a hard time being able to showcase that you could have a digital site without giving up anything, um, you know, from having a site tape. I thought you were going to be in a position where you're not going to have a site tape that would work in the scenario that your batteries died. I never plugged my site in all year. Really? Not once. And it was 100% the whole time. But really? at the same time, I really don't need it that much when I'm whitetail hunting because yeah. I got 20, 30, 40 set. Yeah. So, I mean, I really 50, 60, but then like all summer, like I had like three, four weeks at least that I was turning that thing on, shooting yeah. all day. And um, that's what, yeah, I had one time I shot and I forgot to plug it back in. I'd shot that evening and then came back the next morning and, or no, I didn't shoot again till the next evening and I still had like two bars of battery and the the site had been on for, I guess, almost 24 hours right. at that point. I, was I had impressed. one guy, last year it was released, we were sitting there talking, and this group of guys come up, and they're giving him the rundown, and he said, yeah, but I don't want to plug my bow in. And I'm like, you plug everything else in? Like, you know? Well, and the cord they give you is so long. Yeah. And, like, and I'd make the argument, you only, for the amount that you're shooting, yeah. you know, with it actually on, you only need to plug that thing in. Once, Shoot, twice. I mean, if you're shooting a ton, maybe yeah. once every three weeks or something like but that. But even if you're shooting it a ton, I mean, I haven't had to charge mine. Yeah. I've, once. I've literally charged mine like twice. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I would uh, I'd like to see releases improved. That's my big thing. Um, but that's really, man, I don't know how the guys come up with stuff. Like, I don't know what those meetings look like. Because if I was in there, I'd be like, well, it's perfect, so let's just not do anything else. <laughs> I would have a hard time on the sights and bows at this point. Yeah, for I, sure. I had a few ideas on the bows last year. After the execute, I don't know what else I would uh, would yeah. be able to do with the execute. <laughs> I love mine. But here's the thing I can tell you guys from being as old as I am or as, what did you call it? Seasoned. Seasoned as I am, that we were saying that 15, 20 years ago, that now what? I mean, the technology is this. It's so much this. They've already hit the speeds that they didn't think they could hit. We're now hitting those speeds at 70 pounds rather than 80 pounds. They've already got every sight possible that you can think of. And then every year they come up with something else. 
And a lot of the stuff is stuff I've never even thought of or never would think of. Um, and I wouldn't even think that I needed it until someone shows it to me and is like, oh, wait a minute, what you're doing is this, but it's better. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's probably different, too, when you're the one working on it. Absolutely. You know, and you've got a good idea of what it is and what you want to do next from the original idea. Yeah. So being seasoned, what's that one thing in the industry, like when it came out, you're like, this is going to change the faith like this is going to change everything about archery Ooh, just so any from any time yeah. the the pop-up blind really when a, when a when a five hub style blind came out for the first time i remember Who put it out for the first time the, well the first one that i saw was when primos first when well i take that back double bull primos owns double yeah. bull now yep so when double bull came out with those um i mean you walk through a trade show a consumer show show Everybody stopped. It's like, what is this thing, man? Holy cow, you can, like, have a, a place to hunt out of right now. And it's waterproof and all this stuff. I mean, it was crazy seeing what was going on really? with that. I mean, and that was, I'm sure there might have been, you know, like when a compound bow, but that was before me. Yeah. You know, so I'm You're not, not that, that I'm not that seasoned. Yeah. So, but close, but, but I rem- uh, I'll just I never really seasoned. <laughs> but I, but I, I just can tell you that, and now you come somewhere and there's probably 50 pop up style blinds in here yeah. by 10 different manufacturers, you know. But that f- the first one was Double Bull, was the first one to put that on the map. So, as far as archery specific, what was it? Archery specific, gosh dang, the release, he, he know, I. I don't know because there was a there was a there was a growth there too. Like I had one yeah. of the first pistol grip. I mean, all it was was a pistol. It was big, and it was a pistol grip deal, and it was plastic. It was cheap as all get out. Someone let me borrow it. I was like, I don't know if this thing's gonna hold or not, you know. And you're really like, I don't know if this is worth trying. Then I got, and then I for a while because they were so cheap, I went back to shooting a compound bow with my fingers. Um, and then eventually I was like, okay, now they've probably only like. I would re- I would say that the release was more like a cell phone in in the progression. All of a sudden they found, ooh, wait a minute, we can build this these releases way better. And then they just started just flying. They started yeah. getting way, way, way better. So I, they weren't like a boof, you know, or like something that just hit the like where the ground blind when when I mean it was there was nothing like it and it was like boom, here it is and check this out. It's made. Yeah. Um I'd have to think. You could probably say expandable broadheads. Expandable broadheads oh, yeah. could be another. That's a good one. Yeah, but um, but I jumped on that bandwagon long time ago too. You know, I I was one of the first, um, one of the first guys that I know of that started hunting elk with an expandable broadhead. I mean, I lived in Montana where everyone, like every outfitter, was you can't use them, that we won't let you, and I was like. Well, you know, I killed my last three bulls at that time with expandable broadhead, you know, and I just kept doing it. And now, you know, we've killed between the the family or people that we've hunted with. We've probably been part of 50 kills, um, expandable broadheads on some big, big animals. So this whole new movement of... 50 on elk. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, on, yeah not, not deer. So on deer, we'd be hundreds. Yeah. So this whole new movement of big, heavy setups with single bevel cut on contacts, like... Expandable suck. What do you say to that? What's They're your, wrong. What's your rebuttal? They're wrong. <laughs> I think Flat that, I think it all absolutely ninety nine percent of it comes down to shot placement. I think oh, people are just not. They're not hitting where they, they're supposed to, and then they're trying to blame it on a broadhead. Yeah. You know, or they're taking shots they shouldn't be taking with any setup. 
and then trying to blame it on the broadhead. I mean, yeah. they, they, I want to set up my arrows to be 600 grains and to be shooting a fixed blade broadhead so that I can shoot an elk in the front shoulder. Yeah. Well, why don't you just not shoot elk in the front shoulder? Wait till they're broadside or quartered away, um, you know, and then then you don't have that that issue yeah. because I don't care what you're shooting. I don't think that that it's not fair to that animal to be trying to shoot them, you know, quarter two and stuff like that. Um, so I think that that's I think that's where it all stems from is, is it's just shot placement. Well, I had an uncle and this really changed my whole perspective on broadheads and um, penetration and heavy arrows. And I had an uncle and he had no idea. One of my cousins was like, hey, dude, I, I'm going to give you my old bow. You need a bow. You need to start shooting one. So he's like, yeah, that'd be fun, you know. So he starts shooting it, and he was not a hunter. So he starts shooting it, and he had no idea. And so he calls him a couple days later, and he says, hey, dude, man, I started practicing that bow a lot. Dude, I love this thing. I actually just shot a deer with it. And he said, really? Like, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, I went out and set up against a tree in my backyard, and the deer came out, and I shot one. And he said, really, dude? Well, did you go to Walmart and buy some broadheads or something? He said, what are broadheads? And he, he said, shot them with field point. He said, what do you mean, what are broadheads? You shot them with field points? He said, yeah. He said, you can't do that. He said, I can. It's dead. It's right here. <laughs> and uh, shot it perfectly and died. And that's when I was like, you know, I heard one guy say, he said, you can kill any animal in North America with a twenty-two. You just got to shoot it right. It's probably true. And, and the, the same is true with broadheads. And, and arrow setups. You know, these guys are going, and I mean, we're not here to talk bad about anybody, but these guys are going 650 grain arrows with, and I'm like, but why? Like, uh, there's no point. And then the accuracy that, well, I guess it's not the accuracy you lose. It's the accuracy of how accurate you have to judge yardage. Yeah. That's what made, because I, I think I told you this on the podcast once before, that I went on the heavy arrow train for a little bit. Yes. And was shooting like 520s or something like that, 520 grain, somewhere in there for elk. And he actually called me in two bulls in a row. Shot the first one, was 43. Held my 40 right on the heart, heart lungs, you know, figuring I'll be just fine. Yeah. Right underneath him. So didn't even think about it. That here comes the second bull. And same exact distance. And this time, though, I knew for sure. I was like, that's absolutely 43 because there was a rock that he was standing next to. And just held the 40 right on and right underneath him. So now I was really irritated. Figured my bow must have been bumped or something. So we go back to camp, and I shoot a 40, and it's could have hit a quarter. I mean, yeah. dead on him. So now, so then I was okay. Well, I'm going to step back to 43 and shoot just with my 40-yard pin dead on and see if see how much drop we have. I'm figuring three, four inches. It was 8, 10 inches. And then I went back to 40, shot again just to make sure, and it was dead on. And I was like, so you have to, out to 40, at that point, you have to be within – Two yards. Yeah, two yards. Yeah. Or really even. You missed the kill zone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to pretty much be dead on on your yardage. No, I had the same thing happen. I was shooting a heavy arrow set up, and, and uh, I I had switched to a single pin um, just for this, like, video stuff. And I'm not a single pin shooter, and so it never dawned on me, like, dial it down. And so the deer's at, at 24, and I just hold my 20 on him. And, but I missed, and I'm like. That's when I was like, okay, had that not been a 600-grain arrow, I would have still just punched him right in the heart. Like, And so for me, that's that's what it is. I mean, what what broadheads do you shoot? Uh, we've been shooting NAPs. Um, well, I've, we've shot a mirage of them, honestly. Three-blade rage, that's been one of my favorites. That's probably what I killed the most with. Um, in the NAPs, I was shooting the um, – mine was the striker, wasn't it? The Spitfire. Spitfire, the three-blade there. 
Warren was shooting. And I've shot the kill zone as well. Yeah. Um, kill zone. I always like two blade. Anything two blade, sip cam. Yeah. So, but yeah, we, we've been. We have the opportunity here. We're going to get to mess with some others. I, I think we might try some of the sick broadheads. That meat seeker looks like a serious. The sick SK2 is my favorite head I've ever shot in my entire life. I uh, I was down in Texas, and my buddy shot four animals in one night with the same broadhead. Would go out, get it, put another clip on, shoot another animal, go out, get another clip on, shoot another animal, pastors. I actually, the first time when those came out, I was on the single bevel train. And I'm like, well, I'll try these. And uh, in Kansas, I had a deer move, and I and I shot him in the shoulder. And that that broadhead busted through both shoulders. And I was like, yeah, I'm never shooting something else. So I'm right there with you, man. Right. But uh, what's been the biggest uh, surprise for you at the show? Like anything that, like, stuck out to you? New products, new anything like that? Oh, there's been a I ton think, of new yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's been a lot like, of there's new There's been stuff. some small I feel like upgrades, but I don't know that I've seen anything yeah. drastically new. I think everything is just going lighter, faster, quieter. You know, there's boots out here that are that we I would we've been buying boots or wearing boots. If you you own something, you like it, you know. And so we have hunting boots or hiking boots that we like. And now we looked at a company making all pretty much the same boot, only it's like on steroids. It's like half the weight. It's much stiffer. Um, we've looked at. Sites now that what are boot company was it? Uh, Hanwag. Hanwag. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, it's pretty. I think it's that way. I'm gonna yeah, have to go look at them. Nice boots, really nice. I'm gonna yep. have to go look at them. Have you seen anything blowing your mind yet? You know, I was I was thinking about that, and I thought, dude, last year the digital react was like the talk of the show. For I sure. mean, you walked by at any given time, there was 12 guys surrounding it, and this year I just haven't seen that. Um, you know, I haven't. I don't think there's anything this year, but like you said, you know, there's things you walk by and you're like, oh, that's good to see changed a little bit, you know. Um, somebody told me, um, who was it? I think it was G5, came out with their own arrow. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. Hmm. I haven't I seen haven't it seen yet. That but yet. That's what I was told. So, but, anyways, that's, you know, we got off on a couple tangents, but <laughs> I saw Warren post a video, and you guys obviously talked about this on your podcast. Yep. Um, so, if we do a bad job, head over to Raised Hunting Podcast. They'll do a better job of it. But um, this idea of deer zones, it intrigued me because I've got this property. Well, I'll get into it a little bit. But walk me through that idea of deer zones that you were you were talking about on your podcast. Well, so the more that we started looking at this, my opinion on these deer zones is um, that I'm starting to, to think that if you have a tr – trying to think of the best way to lay this out so let's just say that you have a hundred acre piece you know and it's rectangular you got crops on it you got timber everything that a deer would need you would think that that deer typically would just cover that entire hundred acres well it seems from to me what the more and more that we'll find is that we're finding them that where they're just in one corner of that hundred acres or they're every once in a while you'll have one that he's dead center and he will he'll cake that entire hundred acres or you'll have some that they'll stay on the north end of that hundred acres and they will never like there is a hard line in the sand they will never ever go to the south part of that hundred acres or in the rare instance that there's a doe and heat or, or whatever the case may be that he was bumped something that forces him to go over to the to that south side he'll do it but 
we have several deer now where we have instances that like i feel as though i could go out and walk in, you into the timber and i could sh show you draw a line right here and say this deer that that one right there he will never cross that line like you're he will always be at least somewhere up in that direction um so i guess i hadn't really we hadn't really put a name to it or anything but i'm just calling them deer zones and the, and the deer that i killed this year would probably have been one of the best examples of that that's where i really started keying in a little bit more on that idea i had him i'd seen that deer i had a camera on a big big scrape you know big community scrape right there for a month and a half never saw the deer never had a picture nothing Alyssa and i started hunting that that stand and saw the deer magnum mm -hmm. um for like two days in a row like four, five times in a week so we were seeing him almost every day or every other day like just constantly and yet i never had a single picture of this deer wow and so at that point i was like well maybe he's just in here with a doe or something so i moved to the cameras a little bit further to the north and then all of a sudden I started getting a whole bunch of pictures of it. And so really? then I was like, this deer must be, he must be a resident and he must live here. And then for some, whatever reason, that seems to be a, a border of his. Well, once, so once this year rolled around, I had a hunch on where I felt like he was summering. Cause I didn't think he was on us during the summer. And, um, October 2nd, I got the first picture of him and that'd be true. Well, I had a camera back in the same exact spot that I did the previous year. And all year, I never got a single picture of him except for one night. I got one photo of him walking by it um, at like 11-something at night. That was the only one that I got the entire time. But yet, I had cameras to the north that I was getting pictures of him. Constant. Yeah, super consecutively. And then killed him up there to the north. Um, so that's a good example. I know you've had a few deer that you've chased that have been like that. Blade was similar. Blade was very similar. I mean, we had a deer that was pretty well known to be five years old this year and the year before that was when we really started hunting this deer and um he and, and i would go as far as to say that that zone can change meaning they have a zone that they could be using in the summer a zone oh that yeah they, it that definitely they, does that they may use in the fall and then a zone that they may be using during the rut yep and this deer was i mean he was consistent what was crazy was so he was a pass-through deer for me. He didn't stay on me in the summertime. He did stay on me during the rut, which was great. But then as the rut dwindled, he would move off of me and onto the neighbor. And I mean, you could, and, and the same cameras that would light up. And the, where we come up with this theory is because it was year after year. It wasn't like he only did, he did it once and the, he did it two years in a row. This year he had started to do it a third year, only he ended up getting injured. And so it kind of threw everything out of whack. Um, but you know, juice was another one. Juice was, I mean, juice yep. was probably the best example of a deer that stayed inside of a zone. I could literally, I think I have one picture across a gravel road where I own across the gravel road or hunted on across the gravel road. And one time to the West, to the West. Yeah. One time I got a picture of him over there in five years. Yeah. You know, but other than that, you could draw. And I would say some deer areas are bigger, some are smaller. Yeah. So. Um, well, the reason that video, when I saw you talking about that, I'm like, I'm not the only one. Because I thought I was crazy. My in-laws, they have five acres. That's it. But it's really good. And last year, I was set up in a different spot. It was really for my wife, more so than anything. So she could drop the kids off at the, her parents and run out and hunt. And uh, I had a camera set up. And I had deer everywhere. Like, I mean, you would have... 10, 12 does come in, four or five different shooter bucks. And I'm like, this place is crazy cool. Well, I move it to the other side of the property. And again, 500 acres, so 300 yards. I mean, five acres, not 500. Fi 
Five acres, yeah. Five acres. Yeah. Right? Five acres. Yeah. And so it's literally. <laughs> it threw me off, too. Yeah, because. Oh, did I say the wrong thing? You said 500. Yeah, you said 500 oh, the second no. time. I was like, wow, oh. that, that piece grew. Five acres. And so it's literally 300 yards from the old place. And I had a camera out for three months, and I get one spike. And I'm like, what the heck? So I move it back, and there they are. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine deer not coming 300 yards. Uh, and there was a protein feeder. Like, they didn't come to it. But then I moved it back, and I have pictures and pictures and pictures. So I'm like, I thought I was crazy, dude. And I, But then I hear you talking about it, and I'm like, why is it? Like, why, why think, do you think that is? I think there's a multitude of factors. I think sometimes it can be food. Yeah. You know, that they're, you're too far away from the food. I think sometimes it can be cover, that they don't feel like they have a place they can go and get away. Um, I think there can be cattle or, you know, can be something that forces them out. Landowners messing with them too much, too close to a road. Although I would say that some of those things can be flip-flop too. You can think that they're not close to the road, and they're staying close to the road, and they're doing it on purpose. See, that's that had to have been because where I moved it to, I thought I was giving them more cover. I thought they're going to feel more safe here because I moved it back into the trees more, back away from the openings, and I'm like, this is going to be better for the deer. It's going to – but no. Yep. And so I just thought, what in the world is going on? Well, where you killed Magnum, you were in the right area, but he came where he where you actually shot him. You weren't expecting to see him there. No, because I never seen him go that direction. Right. But I think what I'm looking really looking at is the individual bucks. You know, yeah. it seems like a lot of these individual bucks will see they'll find that they there's just a spot like I would have told you where I where I killed that deer, Magnum. You could have put a lot of pressure on that deer, like a lot of pressure on the deer, and and you'd had a hard time running him out of there. Now he would so he was stupid. He could have been stupid, but I think he was smart enough that you could he was just going to be he would have become much more careful about where he accessed and how he accessed and what winds he did it. But he lived there, you know, like. It was going to take a lot of pressure before he would say, okay, I don't want to live here anymore, and I'm going to go and relocate. So I don't know if it's something that's in, that's ingrained in them from the time that they were born, you know, where it's just like... This is home. Just naturally of, yes, yeah, like these are these are my areas. This is my summer home, or this is my permanent home, um, or if it's like a, if it's a dominance thing. That, that was know? the first thing that crossed my mind when I heard you talking about it, but then I thought about that property. I'm like, well, all of the deer stayed over there. Like, it wasn't one buck wasn't coming over because there was another buck, a bully buck over here that was pushing him out. Like, it was all the deer. Yeah. So that that one, I would say, possibly be something that's a little different as far as yeah. maybe well, there's some like other it, factors. That yeah, there's got to be a there. factor. And well, I, I think one, one of the factors can be what you just said. You have a bully buck in somewhere, and so that'll keep a buck from venturing into that zone at all. He's not going into that deer zone at all. And, it's, and I do think that sometimes those bully bucks, they'll have a big zone. Oh yeah, they're not afraid they to venture around. Oh, yeah, yeah and, and they'll and they'll kind of cut through. They're not afraid to go in here. You almost think they're kind of dumb. Yeah, you know. And sometimes I feel like they are. I feel like you do get cracks at those deer if you want to kill them. Most of the time, they're not a deer that the average guy hunting the Midwest wants to put a tag on. You know, they're just not what you've got. They're typically for me. What I see is they're a big-bodied eight-point buck that's Bingo. not going to score that well. Big muscular neck, real thick heavy horns just made for fighting bingo you know and that's what they want to do and those deer there you can grunt and call them in they'll come every day of the week throw a decoy out watch them tear it up i i I almost wonder if we should be paying more attention now to our brawlers you know are the do your brawler deer stay 
in as tight of a zone or are they expanding because they're not worried about going in somebody else's area? You know, if your deer that aren't as um, incentivized to fight, if maybe they take a little bit. Well, and I don't mean anything by this, but it's <laughs> it might sound bad, but it's the best way I can think of it is like the ghetto gangs, like, you know. Deer, deer <laughs> That's not what I was expecting <laughs> to come out of his mouth. Deer don't go into other deer's territories because they're like, hey, you know, I don't cross this. Like, this is... No, especially where he lives. Especially if they had a buck kit once. Well, that's they don't, they don't want to go back in. Well, there. I had this. I went to Oklahoma, showed up at at, at the <laughs> outfitter, and he's like, "Hey, listen, I need this deer killed." And he said, "He's a." The, what's funny? I'll show you a picture after this. The picture perfect deer of what you just described: an eight-year-old, eight-point, two hundred and fifty pounds, nothing up top. You know, maybe one ten. You know, but just right. a bully. He said, "I guarantee you, go out there and and grunt and rattle. He's coming." And I'm like, okay, all right. And so I see him at at 300 yards, and I just let it rip. And, dude, he turns and comes right to me. And uh, I actually had a giant, a giant 12-point, just, I don't know, 100 yards that way. And the moment he saw that deer coming, he bolted. And uh, after I was playing this out for the outfitters, like, that's exactly why I want that deer killed. Because these other deer don't come to the feeders, they don't, you know, they don't hit food plots, they don't, because this deer right here. Yep. And so literally I watched that deer say, I'm not going any further than this because he's over there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really fortunate though when you get one of those deer that's, that is huge. Yeah. It's like it, some of them, it's their attitude. That one, he killed juice, that, he, that deer was that way. He's a 179 inch deer, and, but it did not he his goal was to kill anybody like he just yeah. he just walked around pissed off like he just wanted to steamroll anybody in his path so how many times did you call him in uh, in two years probably six times yeah you know and he would slip by you know he'd get and not that he wouldn't come close enough he'd come close enough but he just would get by a tree i couldn't shoot he'd come the wrong side of the tree that kind of stuff but you know, he we had very rarely, in my opinion, do you find both, meaning you find that brawler that also has that rack to go with it. And Juice was that. I mean, he got his eye torn out and he just was all about fighting, you know. So I want to flip this script and look at the other side of things. But first, uh, I got to give a thank you to my friends over at Forerunner Blinds. For me, that was a product that changed everything. Um, it's a, a pop-up blind, essentially, but it's a big metal steel frame and it's got pop down wheels so you can pop the wheels down it's got a trailer hitch on it you can pull it anywhere on your property pop the wheels down and you've got a giant six by six blind to hunt out of it's incredible uh guys go check out forerunner blinds it's changed the way i hunt um because where i used to have five pop-up blinds now i use that one and just drag it to different parts of the of the property so um definitely go check them out they're an awesome blind um flip-flop this you ever have just a timid deer and you're like you throw a decoy up they ain't coming in because they don't like to fight uh, you start grunting and they go the other way because they don't want to fight. Um, have you had have you have you had as much experience with timid deer as you have with those brawlers? Uh, the one that I can immediately the deer I shot last year straight up. I have every one of his sheds up until he I killed him. He had never broke a tine. I mean, in in all the years we have every shed and he never busted one. I realized two years ago, because I grunted at him one time, when we finally got, when he finally made it to five, I ended up killing him at six. I'm trying to call this buck in, just like normally, you know, hit a grunt call, do yeah. whatever. He ain't coming. He would turn and leave. And I realized, okay, this deer is not a brawler. This deer is totally about mating does. 
Yeah, that's the only way. That's the only way that you're going to have any effect on this deer. You're not going to be able to do that. So, he would be my number one thought when I refer to one that I know of that was like that. That he was not a big bark brawler, not big fighter. So, what were you doing different to kill him? Just mostly focusing got, on the food. Yeah, got to be got to be in his zone. Yeah, got to get in that zone and know where he travels. And that's how I ended up killing him. Was on a food plot. So are those deer, did you notice that his zone was a lot smaller because, you know, he kept to himself, didn't want to run into other bucks? and It was small. It was really small, you know. Yeah. There might be some more to that. Yeah. We might have to really um, go back in the archives and explore that thought because his was really small. Yeah. I mean, like, this is a deer that I happen to know his summer zone. Yep. And his summer zone was way, it was mile and a half to two miles away from where he was when I killed him and where I knew he was the deer that I judged when the rut was about to start because he would move. And he, when he moved, he would show up on my trail cameras every year at the same scrape. And he did it four years in a row and boom, here he is. Um, but once he got there, shoot, we're talking about a deer that probably wasn't moving with, he was within a quarter mile, half yeah. mile, something like that, which is a small area for a deer to travel in. So you know, we, um, that would be. How often was he hitting scrapes? Quite a bit. He was still hitting them pretty Yeah, he hit the scrapes a lot. Me. You know, yeah. he would come to them. Well, that's what's, that's what's so crazy about it to me is that you could have a deer like that where either you get one picture of him, um, you know, when he was on his way to that new area or you get a picture, you know, when he's chasing a doe. But, you know, if your border was right there, that deer could be right across the fence. You'd never All know the it. time. And you have no idea. Yep. That that to me is what's so crazy about the zone idea is that you could have deer right next to you that you don't, you have no idea that they're there. Well, look how many deer that, so we border a neighbor that we share photos back and forth with. Um, he owns more ground than I do. Um, so when I get pictures, it, I mean, when I'm literally talking he, across the fence, you know, he's on one side of the fence, we're on the other side of the fence, and he'll have pictures of deer that I've never seen. And so their zone just doesn't come as far down as our place. Yep. You know, and that happens a lot. Um, occasionally, but because we don't have as access to as much ground, we'll have a deer that he never sees. The yeah. deer I just mentioned, this deer straight up that I shot last year, he never got a picture of him. The neighbor never got a picture of him. Yeah. And yet really? 250, 300 yards away, I would get a picture of him four times a week. Yeah. I've got a buddy. Um, one of my best friends has 500 acres in Missouri. And uh, that's where I went with, with uh, Andrew to hunt. And we're driving around, and we see this giant, I mean a beautiful, gorgeous buck. And my buddy, and might I say he runs, you know, crazy amounts of cameras, and this property is super well managed. And he says, dude, in my five years, I've never seen that deer one time. And it was right in the center of his property. You would think, like, maybe, but it was right in the center of the 500 acres. Like, I've never seen that deer. I've got 17 cameras out right now, and I've never seen that deer. And uh, so doing some more, you know, recon, he put cameras right in that area. And he said, dude, this deer never leaves. He's within this little, you know, I don't know how big, but he's in this little area, Small and he area. never leaves. Like, so are those deer harder or easier to kill? Because you know where they're going to be, but at the same time, they're timid. They're not easy I, to, to get to react. And I think they're harder to find, easier to kill. Yeah. That would be my theory on them. Because yeah. like, once you can find them. I think you're in the chips. Yeah. So what do you say to the guy? How do you explain this to the guy that says, that says, well, if they're over there, like, how do I want to question this? 
how do I want to phrase this? They're over there. Like if they're on my property, they're kind of, they're going to come to my food plot. Like it doesn't matter where I set up. I don't have to do any of that work anymore because they're going to come to my food plot. Personally, I'd say you're going to miss deer. Yeah, a bunch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Personally, I'm going to say you're not going to kill them much, bud. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I, there's going to be deer that I feel like they're going to be end of their ranges where um, maybe in the right circumstances, if there's no other food around, there's no there's no good ag or anything, that, yeah, you might be able to suck all of them to your food plot. But yeah. I think in other instances where it's more abundant and they don't have to go just to your food plot. Like in the Midwest where there's cornfields everywhere. Absolutely. Soybeans and winter wheat. And, but you have a lot of guys that buy into that. Like, I've got 500 acres, and I don't really have to work. I'm just going to throw corn out, and all the deer are going to come there. Like, that's yeah. not true. Yeah, I think you're going to have a tough time. Yeah. Or, or you're going to have a whole bunch of deer you don't know about. I'd love to go hunt that place. Yeah. So for this, for this, the person that's listening, and they're like, oh, man, I've never even thought of this. Like, I was the guy that just thought, man, if I put corn out, they're going to be here in front of my stand. What steps do you start taking? to figure out those zones where deer are at? Like, is it just more cameras? Is it moving current cameras? Is it, what what steps do you start taking? I think scouting, just old fashioned scout. I mean, one of the things- Boots on the ground scouting. Yeah, you start, no, number one, spending some time out there and seeing some of the deer helps finding sheds. I mean, it's a combination of stuff. We don't do any one thing. It's all the things that we're doing. We're watching this time of year, meaning, you know, it's February or January now, you're going to start to see deer dropping antlers. So when we pick up an antler, pretty sure that deer is around, you know, and not only is he around, hopefully he's around and he's bigger than what he is, what I'm holding in my hand. Um, And at the same time, what you see right now, one thing that Warren and I have been commenting on is the fact that we love this time of year to see all of the sign. It just shows up like a street. I mean, it's almost like looking at a downtown streetway, you know, it's like, oh, they went this way and they went this way. Look, all the rubs are on this side. They're obviously traveling this way. There's some big rubs that I hadn't seen. You know, there's signpost rubs, you know, rubs that are hit year after year. Um, Scrapes you've seen now that have been open and stay open and they're still hitting them. Food plots that, you know, it's changed. They move their food pattern. I would say that's probably one that a lot of people are not paying as much attention to is that um, especially hunting Midwest or areas where there's lots of ag, yeah, is your your crop rotation can change your deer movement. So I'm a big preacher of your scouting starts now, and now is the easiest time to scout, just like you said, and, and you said it perfectly. But I also tell people, just because you've hunted this same piece of family ground for 10 years doesn't mean nothing's going to change. Like sometimes people buy into that idea of like, well, we've hunted this for 10 years. We've killed deer out of this every year for 10 years. And then, boom, this season comes and they haven't done any scouting. And they're like, where are all the deer at? Like, things have changed. So I also say that you can't hunt the same every year. you gotta, you got to scout it new every year. I mean, for sure. to a degree. No, I, I mean, I think we see that because we have a lot of stands that are set. And I'm back moving. You know, I don't move them all. I don't go into my farm and say I got 10 stands across 150 or 200 acres and I'm going to move them all this year. But I might move one or two of them every year because there's a different, a deer has a different zone than what another one had. And so I need to be in a slightly different location. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think that, I do think if you can run a whole bunch of trail cameras, you know, all those different scrapes that you can find and stuff, it'd probably be worth putting a camera on. Yeah. Be interested to see what you find. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had guys that say, "Yeah, I've got a camera out," and I'm like, "A camera? Like, oh yeah, that's what do you mean, a camera?" And they're like, "Well, dude, I've only got ten acres." Like, I'm like, "Still, what do you mean, a camera?" Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? 
Uh, how far do you tell people? Like, if you've got 100 acres, how many cameras should they have out? I, I'm going to say that it all depends on the lay of the land. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you, like, I have one farm that we hunt that's almost exactly what you just talked about, 75 acres. Um, I probably could have had four cameras on it. I ran two on it because I felt like I was in the right location. I mean, I, I'm going to know what deer are here. Um, and what I mean by that is leaving standing beans, okay? And then yeah. I got cold weather. I got I should know what deer are here. Um, another one was I had an active scrape. There's an entrance and exit of this piece of property. Um, you know, on another piece of property, I have 50 acres and I've got six cameras. So, I mean, it's less land, more cameras. The other one's bigger piece of property. So I, just, I think it just depends on how the no, ground lays. I get you. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you had to pick, like, I, I would feel like, how many is on the 80? Two? Three. Three? You, yeah, I have one at either end of the food plot, and then I usually have one at the top of the hill, Min, Min Hill. Yeah, so you could put, you could probably put five or six on there. Probably. It, and I've done that, but what I found was when I had five or six, I had pictures of the same deer. I didn't have pictures of. No, that's not true. I remember the one on the rub tree. Mm-hmm. You were getting different deer there. Not a lot, but some. But some, yes, for sure. Well, I think that's just the expansion out of those zones, you yep. know? So I think really, I don't know that there's a correct answer to that question because it's it can be, um, there's just so much that goes into that. But, it, I mean, 100 acres, I think you could easily have six to ten cameras on that, no problem. Yeah. No, and that, I mean, you answered it perfectly. And I know there's no, like, cut, set in stone every 100 yards you need to have a camera. That's, But, you know, I just, one instance come to mind, like, Last year in Oklahoma, I was hunting a tree stand I called the Ridge, and it was phenomenal. It was really cool. And uh, we had our cameras set up where we thought, you know, we need all our cameras. And then all of a sudden, the deer just start changing completely. Like, I'm like, the heck happened? Well, it was already a natural pinch point because it was literally a a 20-foot ridge bluff. I mean, it was a pinch where they had to go down. Anyways, well, then you start exploring, getting boots on the ground, and it turns out a giant tree had fallen. And it... Literally closed off the pinch point. They right. could no longer get through there. Um, and so all of a sudden you got to change all your cameras. I mean, there's no point in having cameras down here. There's not going to be any deer um, or, or very few deer. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at the land and, and, and see that and understand what needs to go where. But uh, but that comes back to the scouting thing. If you're not scouting, you would, if you actually getting boots on the ground, going out and looking and seeing, you wouldn't have found the fallen tree. Yeah. If you're relying on your camera and that's all you're relying on, you could be missing what's going on. Live you know, by so. one rule. Always have more cameras. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. how it goes. You probably, you could probably get into a black hole there. You could probably run as many cameras as you and want. And still miss them. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you're going to. I mean, just like I said, 500 acres. Uh, what did I say? I think he said 17 cameras, and he was missing a deer. Like, and a giant. Not right. just a, not just a, any deer. It was a giant deer. Um, I will say this. Side note. I'm looking at your belt, and I'm ticked off. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a belt yesterday, and they didn't have the race hunting ones out there. I, what, I we, think that was, that was custom, guys. It was custom made. Oh, crap. Yeah. Dang. So um, I'm not sure that we'll be able to get more of these or That's not. one of one. Matter, right matter of fact, we don't even have enough yeah, for Easton. Yeah, mad about it, too. <laughs> <laughs> we only got two. So either we got to trade off, you know, one guy wears. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Or it's you can cool, just though. Just get some fingernail polish, and you can paint white fingernail polish, and just paint his. There you go. I don't think it'll look like that. That's sharp looking. That's really cool. That's really cool. Really, we had no idea. So, what's your big hunts for this year? What do you got planned? 
We haven't even planned them yet. No, we we're just now like getting all our turkey stuff. We're going back to I'm going back to Nebraska to go turkey hunting. So we're that far at least so far. But right now is when we start putting in for elk tags and everything. Yeah. So had to get through these last few days of this show, and then we'll get started on what are we going to do. So what's your standard every year we're hitting these hunts? What are those places for you, those hunts for you? Typically, we're always on it. We got a good buddy that we antelope hunt with every year. Um, we usually try to have one of us or two of us killing an elk every year. Th- that can vary on where we go. Um, and then al- almost always we, we hunt turkeys in Iowa, but we also head somewhere else to hunt turkeys as well. And then we, there's usually one more hunt in there somewhere that we'll just kind of see what's going along. Someone might want to bear hunt or we maybe want to, we haven't killed a mule deer in a while. So we're kind of inching toward <laughs> mule deer for sure. He just, I, I want to kill a mule deer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, real, real big one. I really want to go to Canada and kill one. That'd be all right. Do it, dude. Dude, they're giants. Do Huge. it. Huge. Um, you ever hunted the early season velvet Kentucky? Hunt? I haven't. Oh, We've, I just put in for it this year. Not put in for it, but I just, I'm going this year. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, it's really over excited. the counter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used, I shouldn't have said put in, but I, you know, booked the hunt today and I, I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that looks like a fun one. It, I don't like hunting in the heat though. Like I'm the kind of guy, I'm not getting in a tree stand until almost end of November, or right. end of October. I mean, uh, cause I don't like sweating. So. You're going to have a tough time on that one then. Yeah, for sure. Probably be It'll really be warm. worth it be worth it you kill a 150 inch velvet solid yeah. velvet deer that'd be cool yeah what's your uh what's your the number one bucket list animal right now mine mine's easy if i had to pick one animal that i if i could go tomorrow would be an alaskan moose I, and, but yeah. i but i want to bow hunt it with and i want to call it in and i mean so there's some parameters around that and you want it to be a big one no not, <laughs> i mean as long as it's legal i mean I don't care. I just I just want it close. Yeah. You know, that's my whole thing is get them right up in my face and, you know. Yeah. A big mule deer. Not a small one. <laughs> no, I do want a big one. A big I got to have, like, a big one of everything, you know, and then I'm giant. good. Giant. I got a big elk a few years ago, so I'm good there. So what's your what's your goal? Like, by the end of your life, what's your goal? Do you have that? Like, I was talking with Jack Frost, um, legendary bow hunter, and he's like, the slam, whatever, you know, this. I want to hunt in every 50 states. That's my goal. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, that's new. You know, I don't know that I've ever really put thought into that. Um, I, I, I haven't, but, you know, I, I haven't put much thought to well, it. Well, it's but. a really interesting question because I do, like, I have a lot of, plate. I really would like to do some world travel hunts yeah. later down the road, you know, but yeah. there's a lot of money involved in that. <laughs> so, but there's some places, like, uh, I was looking at, what was I watching? Norway. Mm-hmm. You ever, you ever look, watch any hunting videos from Norway? No. Dude, but I'm going freaking, to now. You have to. It's gorgeous. I will. You know, like, if you were watching any, like, Viking movies and stuff, yeah. the scenery is unbelievable. And, like, and so they're hunting muskox over there and caribou yeah. and stuff. Um, so I think it'd be really cool to see some different parts of the world and hunt over there and in some of those places. Uh, but that's, I still have stuff I want to hunt here. Even elk still, for me, are enough. Like, I just love elk hunting. Have you hunted elk yet? I have. I went this year, and, uh, man, and, of course, when you plan a hunt like that, you can't control what happens with the weather, you know, and we get there, and there was just forest fires everywhere, and they, they, they were across the river. We were safe, but, you know, there were mornings we'd wake up and couldn't see 200 yards, right. and so it just locked those elk up. I mean, 
Just what locked state them up you completely. In? Idaho. Idaho. Locked them up completely, man. I mean, they don't know whether the fire's, you know, 10 yards or right. 2,000 yards. All they know is, man, when we smell this, we normally die. Um, and so we just, the elk locked up, and uh, that's when I shot the bear um, with my recurve and missed. Yep. Uh, not not missed, but didn't find it. And so it was a good hunt, but I try to do one, you know, bigger, more quote-unquote extravagant hunt every other year um, is what I try to. But with young kids, that's it's hard to get away for 12 days for a hunt. Yeah. Well, I think if we had one, I think he would maybe agree with this statement. I think even over him killing a big mule deer or me killing a moose, if we had one hunt that we could accomplish this, this year, it would be to have Easton kill an elk. I mean, that's just, I'd love yep. to be there. You know, and have call bull in for him, or be the one filming when Warren calls. But it I in tell for you him. what, he's not going to be wearing a race hunting groove life belt when he does it. No, he may not be. <laughs> <laughs> no be uh, deal breaker. But but if you had to choose one animal for the rest of your life, you could only hunt that animal. What would it be? Oh, white-tailed deer for me. easy. Yeah, yeah, for me too. Elk. Get out of here. All day, every day. Yeah, Absolutely. no, I mean, that's... Uh, if it came to the health part, though, you know, where you got past it, where you had the capability to be doing elk hunting all the time, then I would probably go to whitetails. But right yeah. now, elk hunting is just, just like turkey hunting, you know, just on steroids. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. See, turkeys are up there with deer for me, even. I mean, I love hunting turkeys. I love it. Turkeys love are stupid. I don't yeah. care. I love hunting them. It's just Screw a turkeys. bird. Like, they, I absolutely love it. They rile me, though. They rile you? Oh, I can't. Deer, elk, everything, I'm usually pretty good. You know, uh, turkeys, I can't hit turkeys to save my life. <laughs> they just get me all all jacked up. Yeah. No, I, dude, I've got these buddies, and they're like, man, shot 13 turkeys in 13 states this year. I'm like, but it was still a bird. No matter where you went, it was a bird. <laughs> like, I don't get you know, it. I, I called in, and for other people and myself last year, 10, in 10 days. Ten That's days cool. of hunting, we killed ten day, ten birds, eight of them with our bows, two of them with shotguns. I think it was. Now, what I will say though is the western turkey hunts; those appeal to me, like to be in the mountains and and chase them in the mountains. That seems cool to me. They they appeal to me. So do the eastern I would, I would ones. I like to do that. So the southern ones. So have you done the turkey slam? Are you, are you I've killed the slam. I, I have killed the slam. I've never done it in one season. What was the hardest and what was the most rewarding turkey? Iowa turkeys have been the, one of the hardest that I've really for sure. They can be really, really, especially after the first week. If you hunt them the first week, they're pretty good. After that, they can get really, really tough. I've, I, it's too long a story to tell, but one day we'll talk about turkeys specifically, and I'll tell the story of Bushy Beard. That would be the hardest. Why'd they both giggle when you said that? Because <laughs> he's insane, dude. He's out like for like eight days straight to get a shot at this turkey. These guys both giggled when yeah. you said that name. They're like, oh, gosh, not that, not that bird again. Yeah, yeah. You can't be a normal person to do what he did to get a shot at that turkey. Like it was, no, no. way I'd have ever done it. I, like I had a hard time doing that for a 200 inch deer. So what's the addiction there? Like what's the? It's hunting, and I love calling. I I love m making them move and do things. I I love you know they're beautiful when they're even though they're really ugly, you know, but they're very pretty. Um, and it's, I don't know, I, like Warren said, I mean, when it comes to elk, I love hunting elk because you can call them. I love calling white, I, w I would shoot a smaller whitetail that I call in than a bigger one that I just set up on. Yeah. I mean, it's just something about making an animal go do something that he wasn't intending to do that day with me interacting. My wife says that I communicate better with animals than I do with people, you know, and it's put That's out. why you kill stuff. I, I do. I love, I love working on that. Yeah. 
So what is uh what's that one tip? I I ask every guest what's a what's a tip? A hunting one on one field note tech tip, something I can take and put in my back pocket and make myself a better hunter with. Man, don't give up. I mean, Easton's experienced it this year from, but those days when you wake up and you're like, I'm just going to sleep in today because I've been busting my butt now for 10 days or seven days or on an elk hunt, it's only four or five and you're worn out mentally and physically. Keep going. Keep going. You you got a little more in the tank. You know, you can. Not only that, I heard, I heard it put really well. And uh, it was Fred Eichler. He said, the way I look at it, you know, if I'm on a seven-day hunt and I haven't seen anything the first six days, my chances are better on the seventh day. You know, most guys are, are down on themselves. They're like, dude, I've been out here for six days. I haven't seen one animal. Well, that just means you've narrowed down whether or not, and now your chances are better on the seventh, not worse. For sure. So. I would, If I had one thing I would tell people to do is give yourself the chance to have the experience from this yeah. year. We've seen a lot of people that are limiting themselves on – uh, just taking opportunities, shooting animals, getting that uh, that under their belt because they're trying to kill, you know, a monster right out of the gate. Yeah. I would say more cameras. That's my tip. More cameras. <laughs> more cameras. That could be a good one. Like, I've got 13 more cameras. Yep. Yeah, don't ever, don't ever give up on cameras. Clearly you need more cameras. Yeah, it's not enough. Um, I do want to make one thing. One, I want to mention this real quick because uh, Warren is a Pope and Young official measure. Um Right now, Bear is doing, so we're looking at all these new bows at ATA. You've been looking through them all. Right now, if you buy a Bear bow, you get a free Pope and Young membership. Um, so when you buy a bow, you register it online, they're going to send you an email, and, and Bear Archery is going to pay for your Pope and Young membership. Um, so as you decide which bows you're looking at, um, any Bear bow you buy, just remember, make sure and get it registered. Or if you bought one last year, get that paperwork back out, register it, and you're going to get a free Pope and Young membership. Guys, where can they find you at? Where can they find the podcast? Where can they find the show? Podcast, you can find Race Hunting Podcast, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Um, Instagram, Race Hunting, Facebook, Race Hunting, TikTok, Race Hunting, YouTube, Race Hunting. Just type in Race Hunting, and you'll find whatever you're looking for. Just Google Raised Hunting. <laughs> yep. We're all over. Yeah. Guys, before we go, one more shout-out to my friends over at Nick's Knife Works. I'm a sucker for a good knife. Um, I love hand-forged, high-quality knives, and my buddy Nick Deeker out of Kansas does it and does it well. So go check out nicksknifeworks.com for any of your knife knife needs. Guys, thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>